Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Don't Give Up Skeleton, a very special episode. If you've clicked on this, uh, you know that this is episode number 100, and we have a special guest, Mr. Jason Killingsworth. Um, Jason is one half of the authors, um, or I guess one of two of the authors, let me say that, of You Died, which is the book about Dark Souls. Um, if you have read that book, you know it's a in-depth look at all kinds of various aspects of the game. I was interviewed for the PvP section. Uh, Gary and Cole from Bonfire Chat were interviewed. Lobos was interviewed. There's a whole lot of people in there. I think Vadi is even in there at some point. Uh, it's a really good book. There's links in the show notes if you want to go check that out. Uh, but before we get into the main episode, uh, since this is episode 100, I want to say, first off, thank you to everybody listening. Uh, it's This podcast has grown dramatically over the last year and a half or so to get to episode 100, and it's so gratifying to see that um, it's... It's a surprising amount of work to find guests, to schedule guests, to record it, to edit it, to put it up there week by week. Uh, I don't think I've missed a single episode yet, you know, knock on wood, and I don't have any plans to. So, uh, they, and it's all because of you. It's all because I know that people are out there listening. I know people are, are looking forward to it every Wednesday when I release the, the episodes. So, so thank you very much for that. Thank you to all of the guests, all 100 of you. Um, actually, technically, it's a little bit more than 100 since episode 69 had three guests or four guests. So I guess it's like 102, 103, but whatever. Who cares? Nobody's counting. Uh, thank you to all of you for you know spending some time with me, for agreeing to be on the show, for sharing your Dark Souls stories, your Bloodborne stories, your crazy PvP stories, and everything in between. Um, special thanks to Gary and Cole for inviting me to Bonfire Side Chat for that first time and t- showing me that I could actually be on a podcast. Um, thank you for Jason for interviewing me way, way back when for You Died. Uh, it, that was a huge thing for me. Like I had never been really interviewed for something like this before um, outside of a professional capacity. So that was kind of a crazy thing for me and showed me that people might have an interest in this stuff. Um, thank you to my friends, Cliff Goldsmith and Charles Turner, a.k.a. Vader Van Oden, for... Uh, invited me to host Dark Insight for quite a long time, which kind of gave me the courage I needed to sh- to start this podcast. And um, thank you to everybody, basically, uh, especially Autumn, my wife, who has d- just been so generous with her time and allowed me to record at crazy weird times, whether it's 10 o'clock at night or 6 in the morning or what have you. She's always been extremely accommodating. So... Uh, I've talked for a really long time. These intros don't normally go this long, so I'm sorry. Uh, I hope you enjoy the episode. I, I think you will. It goes kind of all over the place, but it's it's a really fun look at, at Dark Souls 1 through the eyes of somebody that's been picking it apart from the very beginning. And uh, I apologize at the end of it. Me and Jason like each other a whole lot, and we don't get really a chance to talk to each other, so we, we, we pat each other on the back quite a bit towards the end of the episode. But uh, I... I think it was worthwhile. And again, I think you'll enjoy the episode. So thanks. After this podcast, I then I, I will start. I will add podcast veteran to my LinkedIn profile and... <laughs> <laughs> and have people endorse me for podcast for my podcasting uh, podcasting skills. But you were already on Bonfire Set Chat, which is like the biggest Dark Souls podcast. Like I, I feel like I, I feel like I'm third I'm third in the in the pantheon of Dark Souls podcast right now. So, oh man, I, like if I was on the same list, like top twenty five search results and 
on Fireside Chat was number one and I was 24 or 25, I would still be so excited to be <laughs> on the same list. Like, even if you had to scroll for five minutes to get down to my name, I'd be like, I'm on the same list as Bonfireside Chat. Yeah, those boys did a, did an excellent job. It's um, I don't I don't say this about a lot of podcasting people, but like it, I think them ending that podcast took a, a level of courage that I would have not been able to do. I would have run it into the ground, like I would have just kept going for as long as I could have pulled blood from the stone. But they were like, "No, this is a good time to end it. I'm just going to be done." And I was like, "Oh wow, that's that's really brave because you guys were doing really well with that show." So, oh man. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought you were going to say you were going to drive it into the depths. Um, that, <laughs> that that would, see, that's that's too much obvious. That's, like, <laughs> Gary and Cole would never, it would never take it to that. Um, it would never reach for such an obvious joke. Um, but yeah, I, clearly, I'm. That's why I'm podcast uh, Dark Souls podcaster number twenty four. Um, <laughs> I, I, I have a feeling when I actually release a single episode of a Dark Souls podcast, I will start climbing the charts. Um, I think I'm really low because I haven't actually released a, a single episode yet. I have, I have a feeling this one's going to go straight to the top of the charts because. <laughs> oh man, you're going to carry me there. I'm you're my co-op person who like kills the boss while I run around in circles. <laughs> exactly. I'm your, I'm your summon <laughs> or you're my yeah. summon, I guess you're actually, gonna, I'm going to ride you to the top of the charts. Uh, is what's going to happen. A bit too close to the bone there. Cause I think you actually did exactly that with a bloodborne boss. Um, like that, and I don't actually remember the name of the boss, which is really embarrassing. And I just lost about a thousand points of, of um, from software cred. But the the boss in the Bloodborne DLC that you fight like in the ocean's edge, and the boss is just a complete son of a bitch. The orphan of cause, yeah. Yes. Oh God. Yeah. You you carried that fight so incredibly hard. That, <laughs> that was a fun time. That was really great. It was really fun. I'm so glad that that there was that we were able to use the, the password magic to to actually make that happen. So we didn't have to go old school dark souls where you basically just have to like sacrifice, you know, your firstborn child and like amass a bunch of like, really priceless family heirlooms in a pile and light them on fire. And then you have a one in 75 chance of connecting with a friend of yours. It's um, it's really nice that they have like streamlined that entire process. That you can just like with Bloodborne and Dark Souls Three, you can just literally type in a password, and there's no level requirements you have to worry about. There, there's literally nothing you have to worry about. You just summon your buddies, and then you can just play a game and have fun, and that's it. Like that's that's a really nice thing that I don't, I wouldn't actually want in Dark Souls One, which is a weird thing to say. Like I. Dark Souls one being so confusing, I think is really great. And I think that's that it captures oh, yeah. that game perfectly. But now that we're on like number four and five of those games, I don't necessarily want that. Like I just kind of want to be able to play with my friends at this point. It's really interesting because like, part of the, the mythos of um, from software is that they don't care what, you know, the player wants and they're just going to do anything, you know, anything that they feel and, and, you know, player be damned. And, but they are like, just like the fan service of like adding some of those features, those really requested features. And, and uh, yeah, it's, it's really nice. Like it actually runs against the grain of, of the legend kind of around that, around that studio. And, but I think, I think dark Souls, demon souls and dark souls uh, one, 
like do do have that that sort of made in a I don't know, made in a a dungeon like away from humanity you know every, no decision focus tested uh, and then two and three do feel you know slightly more like we read the reviews <laughs> you know we uh, we're listening we're listening to the fans especially three where they seeded the game to um you know like st- popular streamers and popular youtubers and not taking anything away from those guys because i think they had a a large part in developing kind of the um, what Gary likes to call the cottage industry around dark souls. Um, but it seems like they was yeah. way more focused on like challenge modes. Like dark souls three was, I think way, way more difficult in terms of just having to execute perfectly for a, a lengthy amount of time in order to kill a boss as opposed to dark souls one, which when I go back to demon souls or dark souls one and I like hit a boss with just a standard R one and it takes off like a brick of their health. I'm like, Whoa, what game am I playing? This is fantastic. As opposed to like yeah. dark souls three, where a, a little sliver comes off because I don't have a plus know, 27 like weapon. You feel like the health bar is like a, a carrot and you're doing Julian slices. Um, <laughs> exactly. I, did I use the, I, I, I don't even know if I use the, the correct word, but is, is that where you do like incredibly fine, Slices, slivers. Yeah, Gordon Ramsay listens to this podcast and checks all of our um, <laughs> chef, all of our cooking references. So you'll you'll find out pretty quick on Twitter. The thing is, if I had just let it go, it was correct. I, I would have actually sounded really knowledgeable about like <laughs> cuisine and cooking. But by then, like immediately having no idea if I had used the the correct cooking term, I just lost every bit of cooking um, credibility that, that I could have banked so easily. So if you could just edit. My my question, my fact mm-hmm. check uh, mm-hmm. question out of the podcast, and just seamlessly straight from uh, Julian slicing, just straight into whatever we're going to talk about next. And I know, uh, I know, you said you were a podcast amateur, but uh, at requesting a podcast edit is actually a pretty pro move. So you're you're doing very well. <laughs> <laughs> just basically saying, know, take, like, uh, take that out. I don't I don't want that in there. Fans are, are pretty like pretty serious about like integ- the integrity of. Like you have to do things the the proper way, and if you're doing a, you know, a, what if you're doing like a one bro run, it's not actually a one bro run unless you, um, you know, don't wear a ring or you know, there's just like all of these uh, these different things like in terms of like just being that that really stubborn purist, and I love that people are like so religious about it, but um, but yeah, I. I love like I mean I didn't obviously when I did my Rumbo one run Rumbo I think that's what it's called Rambo uh, when <laughs> I did my Rambo run yeah. I, Sylvester's alone run of Dark Souls one that's what they call that <laughs> <laughs> I did feel a little bit like Rambo actually like a naked Rambo um, just running around like the island like just with absolutely not even a head not even a red headband to shield me from enemy attacks. Um, but yeah, I like leveled up all my weapons to like ten billion uh, damage, and so I mean, I was I was a glass cannon um, of the highest order. But I th- I think I remember reading online like people scoffing at at people who tried to counteract their weakness in terms of their soul level by like, upgrading their weapons to infinity. Um, but yeah, that's that's what I did. Uh, it was still hard. <laughs> so, I'm proud of myself. I still uh, cherish that uh, 
that grainy um, iPhone 3GS screenshot that I took of <laughs> Gwen Soul at Soul Level One. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was my my DSL one um, my DSL one uh, photo. Um, Actually, that's a that camera joke. Doesn't really work without the the R on the end. But um, no, I, I get it. I, it actually it's, it works as a, like a, a like a portmanteau kind of like Dark Soul Soul Level One, a Dark Soul Level One. DSL yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I feel like if yeah, I I think I was just holding myself to to too high a standard of, of like trying to too perfectly kind of meld the two terms together. But are you are you still playing Dark Souls regularly, or have you? Because uh, I feel like Dark Souls is that place that, like, almost like that childhood home that you lived in for years and years and years, and um, eventually you you sort of move to a different town, and and you always like you'll just, you'll think about it like it, at random times and have these like really intensely sentimental thoughts uh, about Lordran, and I mean for me it's Lordran because even though I played. Demon Souls, you know, I played them in order of release. You know, Lordran is still is still that place that I my mind drifts back to when I like just happen to glance over and see my Dark Souls you know poster on the wall, um, or see the the Lordran print. You know, uh, yeah, it's I just I still have such a sentimental attachment to that place, and I. I haven't played the game in in a while. Probably, I mean, I f- when I finished up the Dark Souls Three DLC, I haven't haven't really been back since. I I didn't do all of the the challenge running craziness um, because I think I never loved another one of the Dark Souls games as much as I loved uh, Dark Souls One. I can agree with that. And so, like all of the challenge running and all of all of like the replays and okay, now I need to, now that the DS fix is out, I need, obviously I have to replay the entire game just to experience the whole thing in like 60 frames uh, per second. And but I think it was all just an excuse basically just to kind of go on another date with that game. Uh, I just loved it. I still love it so much. It's interesting. Um, I, I've, I've, I've gone back to Dark Souls one within the last year. Uh, once was when, it was um, made backwards compatible for the Xbox One, so I, I loaded up and, oh, yeah. and and saw that I had like apparently at some point I was doing rapper themed names for my saves. So I had like Lil Kim, L Y L K Y M. I don't I don't know why that was a thing, but I was I was into that. Y L Y L. Yeah, Lil Kim, L Y L K Y M. Use your life. I think that's what it means in, um, in the context of Dark Souls. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and then I. Um, my friend Patty Stardust that does is in the twin humanities podcast. He was doing a soul level one run and he wanted to do a, uh, a PVP week. So I did a, a soul level one PVP. I mean, him like had matches and like had some fun with that. And, uh, it's, it's interesting that you say that like, that's like, you just wanted to make up excuses to go on a date with that game because that's kind of what it felt like. It felt like, um, and I, I'm a married dude, like, I, so I don't want this to sound weird or anything, but like, it felt like seeing that old girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. But you, you actually, um, had sexual intercourse with the hole in, in the CD, in the, sort of in the, in the disc and, but don't worry, your wife's not listening to this podcast. So you, yes, it, absolutely. 
<laughs> Autumn, I love you. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I love you, but I like injured my penis on on this little plastic like sort of. Sorry. Well, I, I told yeah. her I did it at the gym, but oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but no, it, it's 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 one of those things where it feels like coming home. Like it feels like the it feels like the like for whatever reason, like Dark Souls is the game that literally changed my life. Um, and it's it, going back to that and loading it up and you know doing like I, I did a just a brief run by myself when I was playing like when it came out for Xbox one or it was backwards compatible or whatever. I'm just going to load it up and just see how far I can get. And like over a couple of nights I got through most of the game because that was like, once you know what you're doing, it goes, it goes very quickly. I didn't spend that 60 hours that it took. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of fascinating. It's, it's interesting that you haven't played it in a couple of years. Do you think that you'll ever go back at this point? Or do you think that it's one of those things there you'll, you'll just kind of hold in your memory forever and not need to return to? Gosh. Yeah, I, I will definitely go back. Um, and I will go back when they release the bloody game on PS4 in a oh, like beautiful, like gorgeous, completely like re-rendered, like the, the game that, you know, existed um, like in in my imagination when I turned off the TV and I and and I just thought about the place and like I was in it, like in my imagination. And you know, there. Oh my God, I cannot wait for. There's going to be some absolutely majestic, like whatever the console after the PS4 is. It's going to be like the holodeck, um, where like everything's in like complete, like immersive VR, and you're going to get to go to Lordran and in VR, and like everything's going to look like completely photorealistic, and they're going to have like smell technology. So oh, no. when you're in, no, not no, not the smell when technology. You're in the forest, you're going to smell like the damp, mossy earth, and um, but then, actually, the smell technology would probably um, like get terrible really quickly because you'd find out that like the Black Knights just fart all the time, and uh, <laughs> they like can't ever like get their take their armor off, so they have to shit inside their armor. And, well, I mean, there's nothing inside; they're all ash inside. They're all <laughs> ash and poop filled armor. <laughs> they're like literally the inside of their armor is made of cat litter. <laughs> That it's like smell absorbent. So, but you don't know this until you go into the smell VR experience. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, obviously, I'm sort of like goose chasing a bit. But, but yeah, I mean, I I keep waiting for the like. It just it seems like such a a crass inevitability um, that they're going to do the you know the cash grab of releasing the updated you know graphical update for the new console generation and and i i kind of cringe a bit when other games get that treatment but i really want it for dark souls i i I feel like it's it's such a classic games game and i mean will it's one of those games that uh is only going to be more highly regarded um, as time goes by Mm mm-hmm and that's why I loved like one of the final things I got to do at Edge before um, before I left the magazine was correct the score on 
on the Dark Souls review because I had the good fortune of, of getting to review the game. Uh, and I gave it a nine because I was gun shy about giving it too high a score because I hadn't been working at edge that long. And the edge 10 is obviously this, I think only 27 games in the history of video games had ever gotten an edge 10. And, and I had just given a nine to gears of war three, uh, and gotten a lot of flack from my colleagues for it because they looked down on Cliff Blazinski and I think he's a genius. Uh, I think he's just too American for that, you know, for those, those, for my British colleagues that he just elicits every single like kind of visceral negative uh, reaction that British people have about Americans. Um, like when Americans say Legos um, to refer to Lego in the plural, yeah, mm-hmm. they, I would sit in the pub and just listen to my friends uh, on the staff of the magazine, just rant about Americans uh, saying Legos. Uh, they just thought it was like the least cultured thing. They're like, even our four-year-old children know that it's Lego. Plural Lego. <laughs> anyway, total sidetrack. But yeah, so I had uh, I'd given Gears of War three and nine, uh, and I stand by it. And but then I'd gotten a lot of flack, and this, so then Dark Souls came out, uh, and I reviewed that, and I and I just had a religious experience with the game, and just got more transported than I ever had playing a video game before. Um, and I love open world games and, and like really immersive RPGs and, and had never been so engrossed by, by world before. And, and so I was toying with giving it the 10 and then I, I did this really terrible thing where you, you make a, a call based on how you imagine others will perceive that, decision rather than just what you truly feel. Mm-hmm. And so I, I dialed it back to a nine so that they would think I was more discriminating and, and I should have given it a 10 because that's the score it deserved. And I wanted to give it a 10, but uh, when we did our 20th, I think it was in the 20th anniversary issue. Um, we did a, a feature that elevated the, I think, I think all of the games that we upgraded to sort of gave a retro retroactive 10 to, uh, I think they were all nines before. I don't think any, anything had been judged an eight and then like given this major boost and like, it's a timeless classic. Uh, but yeah, dark souls was, was one of the games in that feature. There were, I think it, I think we said sort of 10 games that should have gotten a 10 or it was, no, it was called, I was really proud of this. Um, this the title I came up with for that feature was I think it was called the Ten Amendments instead of the Ten Commandments. Um, that's a that's a really good title. Like I, I like that. I like the way that works. <clears throat> Is any of that stuff on online anymore? Because um, I was trying to Google some of this stuff, but I'm not I'm not really finding like even the links I'm finding on NeoGAF don't like are redirecting some places. Did Edge Magazine just go away online at some point, or did they not release that stuff? So online, or? the uh, so the the online the Edge website, um, it's it actually it did go away. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just went offline, and then it got folded into Games Radar. And so there were like on the Games Radar site, I, I believe it's still still publishing some work to to. There's an Edge section on the GamesRadar.com site. So 
so that's what was happening. But it was it was sad to to see a lot of not just my work. I mean, it's it was sad to see my own work kind of vanish just when the website switched off because when you're writing in print, you always assume that the magazine is the ephemeral thing. The mm. magazine is the thing that's going to that physical magazine is going to end up in you know in a a landfill or sort of in, in an attic somewhere and you're not going to be able to access that. But everything you've published online is going to be accessible forever and it's that's the really safe, you know, thing that's going to be there for posterity. And it actually turned out to be the reverse. All of the all of the pieces that I'd written for the website and and some of some of them were pieces that I that I really enjoyed writing and and I was proud of uh, they just they just disappeared overnight, and I still. But I'm looking to my bookshelf right now, and I still have all of the copies of Edge, you know, that I that I worked on, and then obviously a bunch of others because I subscribed uh, after after that time, and and I can still pull any of them off the shelf and and have a flip through and enjoy that stuff. But yeah, all the stuff on the website including a, a long feature I wrote about Dark Souls in response to Michael Thompson's Slate article. Did, do you remember that article? I don't. He wrote this this really withering, wasn't a review. Um, it was just, a, it was an essay, I suppose. But uh, yeah, Michael, he's a smart dude and, and he's a good writer, but he he brought this, yeah, just a real kind of smugness to this particular piece. And, and he just used all of this. I don't know if it was calculated, but it was, it was really inflammatory condescending language. Um, I mean, you could find it with a, with a simple, Oh, this, the the second sentence is you could read war and peace, for instance, like, thanks. Yes. I know this. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And I think in in the piece that I wrote in response, I, I just said, when you read, like if you read two pages of War and Peace, um, every single time you read them, the words are going to appear in the exact same sequence. I mean, depending on what you know life experiences you're going through at the time, you might have you know a different interpretation of those words, but but they're always going to be the same. But every single time you play a section of Dark Souls, like some variable is going to change, and the experience is going to completely refresh itself. It's it's like saying, a, a, I'm not comparing Dark Souls to basketball, but it's it would be like saying that, you know, every single like game of basketball is like, you know, just having, you know, reading 10 pages of War and Peace and have a gust of wind blow all the pages back and have to read it all over again because a new game of basketball is starting. Like, it's like, no, every single game of basketball, yeah, you're on the same court with the same ball, but the, the all of the variables change and all of the kind of, the improvisation that's required of you to get the ball in the basket is, is going to be completely different. Um, and, and it's, it's the same with dark souls. I mean, you can, yeah, you die, you know, an obscene amount, or I, I shouldn't say you like, look at me, like you die all the time when you like, no, I, <laughs> I die an absurd amount. Um, but every single time you go back and you play the same section and the same, like all of the chess pieces, to revert to their home squares. Um, but then it just plays out completely different, differently every time. And that's just the, the poetry of that game. It, it's 
like the the structure of Dark Souls is is like a form of of poetry where the rules are really you know really rigidly defined. You know, it's it's, it's a limerick or haiku or sonnet, and uh, so that you have these really rigid kind of aspects of the structure, but then there's infinite room for exploration and improvisation within those rules. And, and so that's what really rubbed me the wrong way about Michael's, uh, at least that section of Michael's piece was that he, he tried to completely gloss over it. And I, I don't know if it was, I, yeah, I mean, I already said this before, but um, yeah, I don't know if it was, if he wrote that just to take a few, if he was trolling, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> I was trying to, you know, trying to be charitable you know, towards him uh, because I've had email interaction with him and he's a nice dude. Um, but I, I do kind of have the sneaking suspicion that he just wanted to get a rise out of a really passionate fan base. But yeah, he really got my hackles up and I, I wrote, I think that piece was, Oh uh, yeah, it was, I mean, it was probably close to 3000 words. Um, and the deputy editor of the magazine at the time, uh, was out of the office when I wrote that and, pub- and 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 published it on the site, and he got back and he was really really upset that I had published it. He said it was too long, and if he had been in the office, he would have blackballed it and and wouldn't have published it because it was too long. And I was you know being self indulgent, and how could we expect people to read all the way to the end of such a long piece online that those pieces should only be published in print um, and I should know kind of how to adapt my writing to the medium better. And so I got a little bit of a, a tongue lashing when he got back from holiday, but, but it kind of snuck through in the window that he was out of the office and it was, uh, it got the best response of anything I'd ever written. So, uh, really? yeah, so I felt like there was a little bit of a, a sort of a mismatch there in terms of, of what, I suppose what the what my editors kind of how they wanted me to approach what I was publishing on the website um, and and what I kind of felt like I wanted or needed to get out get out of my system. But yeah, I just I needed to write a response piece to that. That was actually one of my questions as somebody that's been kind of on the forefront of um, journalism about the Dark Souls video game series, uh, specifically Dark Souls One. It's like, what has your your audience reaction been over the years? Because I, it, the the fan base is such a rabid thing, and it's changed as the games have gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And you, you've seen this change with, um, <clears throat> like I remember when they announced the Dark Souls Two Scholar of the First Sin edition, and People yeah. like you would go to the DLC, right? And like people would leave messages about money grubbing and things like that. Like they would do that in game and stuff like that. And you're like, oh, well, no, you know, that's, I mean, they're, it's a development, it's a, it's a game company. <laughs> like they're building this to make money. Like it's, it's a fair exchange of good and pro- of products for, for, <laughs> for money. Like it, they're not robbing you or anything. But as somebody that's been there from almost the beginning, have you seen your audience change like that? Like if this, these 3000 word pieces that you're, you're putting online have and getting positive responses from, did that, did that change over the years? Yeah, I was, I was really spared. Uh, I suppose I was spared a lot of vitriol. Um, just because I was writing from, I was sort of throwing my pieces over, over the wall <laughs> And 
and because they were being published in the magazine where, you know, there's no comment section and, and then the stuff on the website, I don't think we actually, you know, maybe we did have comments on the site. Um, yeah, I think we did, but I, I really tried studiously to avoid reading the comments and, and I mean, the, like the dark souls fan base kind of quote unquote, you know, didn't really, didn't really kind of congregate in, in the edge comment section. So I was shielded from a lot of that. Uh, and that was probably a good thing because, you know, I've seen the way that that Vadi and, and others have just gotten raked over the coals. And I actually wrote, you know, I wrote about the, you know, the Vadi experience with like writing about, or like the, the video that he made about the lore of Bloodborne and, and then the, some of the ruckus that ensued with, you know, other like YouTubers sort of saying that he had parroted all of their, you know, they ran comparison programs to see if he had plagiarized um, their work and, and all of this thing. And he was just getting absolutely sort of pelted from, from all these different sides by some of the other online kind of content creators making games around the soul series and, that's really sad when you when you get that like the community eating its own that sort of dynamic happening uh, and Keza my co-author on you died she really didn't want me to she kindly requested that I not write about that um, I did end up I we sort of compromised and I cut that down um, but I felt like it was an important thing to bring up if you're writing about the community. Uh, just to show some of that discord as well. I mean, it's it's like writing a, a book about a family and, and never discussing, you know, Uncle Larry's racist remarks at Thanksgiving dinner. You know, it's like you don't get the full three-dimensional view of the family without, you know, getting some of those knockdown, drag-out arguments as well. But I think she had had just been so frustrated and so triggered by by the whole Gamergate, you know, situation. And we probably shouldn't even, we should probably take a very wide berth around that subject even still. But, mm-hmm. um, as a female writer about video games, the whole idea of mobs online kind of ganging up to, to smear somebody else online. I think that was just even still a bit too close to the bone for her. So it made her pretty uncomfortable, but, but she was, she was really generous, um, in terms of like, even though we were sort of 50-50 co-authors in principle in writing the book, I wasn't, you know, some subordinate person that she was, you know, telling me what chapters to write and, you know, giving me deadlines and, and acting like my boss. She it was very much a, a peer relationship, uh, even though she had invited me to, to come aboard as a co-author. Um, but yeah, she she just gave really really shrewd editorial comments on my stuff and and made the the stuff that I'd written infinitely better and and she when I said that I really wanted to write about the that discord within the community and the and and Vati's you know story of just of just dealing with that backbiting and and uh, things she she said okay you know let's just, let's cut it down a little bit. You know, it's probably a bit long and she was right. So, but yeah, I, I haven't had to go through any of that. I, I also, I think just partly because 
of my age, like I'm not like a forum, like I don't live in the forums, like the way that like, I don't even like know if like calling millennials or whoever digital natives or, you know, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't grow up online. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm dating myself here, but you know, it was, it wasn't until high school that um, the internet became a thing. And then I made up for lost time by like falling down a serious uh, internet hole and like getting in like, you know, web discussion forums about, you know, bands that I really liked and just spending all my time, you know, writing these long essays in response to other people's posts about what the song lyrics meant. And so I did that all in high school, but I didn't, you know, grow up and like experiencing that discussion around games and forums and stuff. So those habits just kind of are what they are. And, and so I wasn't, you know, sort of hashing things out in terms of my writing. I wasn't like in the comments and, you know, on Reddit and, and in these places, even though I do browse you know, those sites now, like, you know, quite a bit, but so, yeah, I always felt like a little bit of imposter in the, in the dark souls community, to be honest. Um, I, I always felt like I wasn't uh, dark souls enough for the dark souls fans. <laughs> you know, I, I, just, I still have this insecurity, even though I spent, you know, gosh, I probably spent, at least a hundred hours, you know, writing the book and probably more. And, and yet I still don't feel like I have enough cred to, you know, consider myself any, any kind of thought leader within the community. I just, I just felt like I was sort of on the margin and just writing about a game I loved. But so, yeah, so that, I think that's a curious thing because uh, the dark souls community in my experience has been very inclusive. Like I've been, lucky enough to be embraced by the community in the form of like bonfire side chat and the, the fans. Yeah, yeah. And of course, and of course this podcast, like, you know, this is, this is episode 100 of this. And I can't like, I honestly thought when I started this thing that it would be 25 people basically telling the exact same story of like, yep, I got the game. And then I went to the skeleton <laughs> graveyard and I died. And then I was like, where do I go from here? And then I looked online. Can, and can I just key. jump in and interrupt and just say congratulations on the hundredth episode? Because thank you, man. I that's really amazing. That. I, I'm, I just feel so lucky to even be on the podcast to begin with, but on the hundredth episode, it, I, I don't know. I just keep looking around, like looking around like, Oh my gosh, I can't <laughs> believe I, you wanted me to be on this like very, Sort of landmark episode. So anyway, so thank you, and go back to what you're saying. Um, but it's it's it's. I've been very lucky that they're they've been so inclusive. But at the same time, I've seen um, a lot of when I was into Dark Souls, I was spending a lot of time on Tumblr, and uh, there's a very toxic community around Dark Souls that that has that really aggressive, you're not doing it right um, yeah. attitude, and it's it would almost be cute if it wasn't so mean, and you know my it's just seeing like the, the horrible language people would spout at each other or the infinite arguments um, as someone that uh, like I, I, I've been on something awful for almost 20 years now, which is a really weird thing. But like I've, you know, mm. growing up with that dark souls thread and seeing people infinitely argue about like PVP tactics or how long a, a boss should be from a bonfire or like all mm. of these like really like minute details about this magnificent game and at the same time, see people just like really embrace the people that are creative around it, like the the cosplayers or the artist or the fan artist or the modders yeah. or the YouTubers or the streamers or the, you know, what whatever. Like it's it's such a weird thing to have both sides of that coin exist. And it's 
like for you to think that you're not like for you to have that that idea of like you're not good enough and like you l- literally wrote half the book about dark souls <laughs> like you and you and Kevin mcdonald wrote the book about dark souls <laughs> like there's not another book about that is it's just it's like it boggles my mind almost because like the fact that the community exhibits that i think is is one of the worst things about the series and the fact that people are writing those books is the best thing about the series and it's it's weird for Mm -hmm. me that a video game can inspire both aspects from people and i i just i I constantly wonder at this thing that i've gotten myself into and I, i mentioned it earlier in the podcast but this is a series that's changed my life dramatically like it's 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 a bizarre thing to say about a video game but like here we are (laughs) like and it's i i wonder about that like i wonder after like after you finished writing you died with keza and you you guys published that book um like did you did it change the way um either during the process or after the process that you looked at that original dark souls game like did it like how did that alter your view of the actual game yeah yeah so i i mean i talk about this in the prologue to the book but i i I think I had some sense that the game was infinite. Uh, and obviously it, it has a code base um, that is certainly finite, but it feels infinite in a way that, that no other game I can think of or that I've ever played feels uh, because it's so... Um, it's so milky around the edges, like in terms of like where the world ends, um, like that whole experience of like being in a, in a video game world and like running up to like, Oh, I'm going to like see what's on the other side of this, like, you know, expansive water and you kind of run up and then you hit an invisible wall and your character is just running in place against this like invisible wall. And like dark souls. So that's one of the most like amazing things about that, I don't hear talked about a lot is the way that sort of the tricks and the, the hall of mirrors and the, the, the illusions, you know, it's like, I love the illusory wall, you know, kind of that brand um, just because it, it calls out, it actually does kind of call out this, this fact that there's like, there is this kind of brilliant illusion where, where you feel like the world uh, goes on forever. And that, if you could just figure out, you know, find that opening, you know, you could, you could get through and that it would just go on forever. And, and the experience of playing the game, there's, you know, I, I would have played the game. I, I don't, I, I wouldn't even be able to guess how many times I've, I've played the game through now. Like it's, it's a high number. Um, however, you, I always find things you know, even as long as I've been writing about the game, even as long as I've been talking to other people about the game, I still find items that I didn't know were there. I still, there's always something I, I, I find um, that I hadn't experienced before. And so that just adds to this kind of feeling of that the game is bottomless. And, and so the reason I kind of gave that very long winded digression is because I think I, 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 I sense there was a tendency in me, um, whatever my DNA, my psychological makeup, where I really, like when I, when I can't like tie a bow on something, when I can't close the circle and feel like, okay, I've kind of perfectly made sense of something. It's kind of, is this 
sort of open question that I just really struggle with. I want to resolve that question. And so I would just keep playing the game and keep playing the game, wanting to, I was sort of chasing this resolution that, that I could never find, um, no matter how much I explored, no matter how many items I discovered. I, you know, I, I went through the 100% achievement quest to get the Dark Soul achievement. And I thought, okay, after I get every achievement, then I'll, I'll, when I see that unlock and I have the perfect, you know, all of the achievements unlocked, that will give me that, that emotional sense of having completed the game. And even after that, it was sort of a, I, I really got a kick out of, you know, I took a video, again, really sentimental moment, like your, your child's ballet recital or something, like going to the, the blacksmith in, in Orlando, the giant blacksmith, and, and, sort of forging those final weapons and, and watching it unlock. And yet I still, after a few seconds, I was like, oh, I still have 100% of the game. There's still so much more to explore. And so by writing the book, I think that was my last kind of desperate effort to feel like once I have this in a book and it's bound between these covers um, and it's very neatly sort of like sandwiched in between that first, you know, the front cover and rear cover, then I will be able to give myself that feeling, okay, I'm done with Dark Souls and I can sort of move on with my life. Um, and it, it helped with that a little bit, but, you know, when I, when I go back now and think about the game, um, it still has this emotional pull. Like, I, I still want to load it back up. I wrote a piece on my... Um, there's a blog on, on my website on jason-killingsworth.com and I wrote a piece about uh, Dark Souls on there and it was kind of exploring this idea because I'm writing a, I'm writing a new book about my religious upbringing uh, and, and I was trying to figure out like, what is the connection be- between these two projects? Like, you know, why was, why did Dark Souls you know, resonate with me so much that I wanted to write a book about it and this subject of, you know, religion and and my sort of conflicted relationship with that subject. Like, you know, how are these two things, kind of the two things that I decided to write that many words about? And the the clearest connection that I, I could find between them was this this idea of mystery. Uh, and... And the fact that that open question that I talked about, like there's something that's so fascinating about something that you can never fully know um, in its totality. It, it becomes this like addictive quest, you know, to try to understand. And the more difficult it is to understand, it's like the whole hard to get kind of, you know, play hard to get and somebody like is even more crazy about you. Um, both God and Miyazaki Maybe this is like I finally proved that Miyazaki is God. Maybe that's like this sort of Goodwill Hunting style, like Blackboard proof. Um, but like God is like in religion is this unknowable, mysterious kind of infinite being, and people spend their entire lives like writing theology and puzzling over like the nature of God, and 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 so it becomes this like addictive quest to try to unpack all of that in a satisfactory way that you can never do because, well, I mean, I personally I happen to believe that you know it's impossible to kind of fully unpack the nature of God because uh, God doesn't exist. But um, like with 
with Dark Souls, it's the same kind of quest, trying to like, trying to fully flesh all of that out, which you can never satisfactorily do. And so you can spend this lifetime. You know, I did. I think I mentioned it to to uh, Gary Butterfield, and was, was telling him that I I felt like um, <laughs> I felt like I was I had ter- sort of turned my back on you know Christianity. Uh, and then, like, promptly become a theologian, <laughs> you know, in the in the subject of of this particular video game. Uh, and so, I think I, I think I do have that that psychological makeup where, if I'm not addicted to one kind of mystery, I'm going to like immediately become addicted to some other kind of mystery. Uh, and so that's what Dark Souls ended up being for me. I find it interesting because um, as a I'm an atheist myself. I don't, I don't believe in God or a Christian God or anything. And it's not something that I aggressively put out there or anything, but mm-hmm. from a very young age, I had, I had questions and it was, you know, from the very beginning, it seemed like something's not right here and continually questioned all throughout my teenage years of everything about that, that process that apparently all of my friends and family just bought into 100% with no question. Like it, yeah. was, it was just, it was just the thing. And, uh, I was lucky enough to be brought up in, t- in a, an environment where I wasn't forced to do that. Like my family was religious, but they weren't forcing me to go to church. I wasn't, you know, I've, I've, I've known friends that were, um, borderline, if not act, act out and out abused because of their beliefs or their lack of belief or whatever. And I was, I was very yeah. lucky enough not, not to have that situation. Um, uh, but I always questioned it. I always wondered why people didn't. And it's interesting that you compare that to to Dark Souls um, to to take us out of a, a serious statement because when you start yeah. playing Dark Souls, you have those questions. Like there's there are deities in Dark Souls, and you're asking questions of where are they, why are they doing this, and you know what what are their motivations. And the game doesn't give you that. Um, you you kind of have to figure that stuff out for yourself. And I think that's one of the reasons why it succeeds so well, specifically Dark Souls One, because for people that are that are seeking those bigger questions either about the world or about the world of Lordran you eventually just have to accept that whatever you believe is true and yeah. y- you have to have not faith in some deity named Gwyn or a deity named God or, or whatever but the faith in yourself to okay I've I've come to terms with these facts the things that this world is telling me and I know I don't mm. know 100% about it but I have to trust myself because if I don't like what 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 else am I going to do? Yeah, there's always like um, and when I've had discussions about about sort of religious faith and Christianity and um, with people who are are still in the in the believing camp, it's you know, the question like very very quickly gets to like what is the meaning of all this? Like why are we going to work and you know having children and you know doing everything that you do in a life. Um, like what's the, what's the point of it all if there's no master plan to the universe? And the answer is you, you do it because you're creating the meaning of your own life. Like you, the meaning of your life is, is exactly what you make of it. Um, it's, it's the sum total of all of your life experiences and all of the kind of unexpected interactions with with other people and and events and and i think that that really is 
a useful lens for thinking about Dark Souls, even though there is a a narrative arc that you can follow through the game, and um, and so there is a completion state, if you like. Um, but in terms of like what I feel like the meaning of Dark Souls is, it's it's the thing that allows you to record a hundred podcasts. And if you had the energy or the wherewithal, you could make, you know, you could keep going until like the podcast, you know, sort of until podcasts, you know, sort of go the way of cassette tapes, you know, because there'll always be more unique stories to tell about people's experience with the game. And, because everybody, the meaning of Dark Souls is is different for every single person who plays it, um, you know, just like our lives are. Uh, and that's, I mean, I realize that I'm, I sound like really over-sentimentalizing, you know, the experience in the game and, and kind of climbing up my own, you know, arse, but uh, it, it really does have that, that, that feeling for me. I, I loved how much, I felt like the game really trusted me and I don't know, now that I'm thinking about it, like maybe it's um, maybe one of the reasons why I responded so well to it is, or like why it felt so refreshing is because uh, my, my childhood was, was incredibly uh, prescribed and it was, I had parents who were very loving um and caring, but they were also very controlling and, and they were full-time, they were full-time Christian workers and and missionaries. And that's why I was born in Ireland. Um, you know, the place, place to which I've returned, but, uh, Dark Souls is the way it's designed is, is kind of the opposite of that sort of authoritarian parenting style. Um, and so I wonder if that's kind of, that felt so freeing to have a game designer who just allowed you to go run wherever you wanted to run and kind of think whatever you wanted to think about, like without kind of telling you, no, you need to like, this is the correct way to, to think about these ruins or this kind of location. It was all just left open and it, and the game felt so, it felt so trusting and, and where I had felt so infantilized and, you know, by, cause anytime you're, you're being controlled and, and to such a degree, you, it really does um, sort of keep you in this kind of childlike posture of, okay, I need to be told what to think about things because that's the way that fundamentalism works. Uh, and the game is the opposite of fundamentalism. Like the game, like a lot of video games where I mean, you could, like we could name, 50 of them right now that all, you know, go out of their way to tell you exactly what's happening at every moment and how you should, you know, feel. There's audio cues that tell you exactly when to be sad and when to be kind of excited or enthused. And and so everything is like really obvious and insulting uh, in a way, but Dark Souls, like, I mean, even like I mentioned the audio aspect, but like Dark Souls, like there's music and boss fights and yeah, maybe it sounds like I'm contradicting myself because, you know, when the, like what Ollie, 
Welsh at Eurogamer called the um, the appalled choirs. Like you know, I love that idea of the appalled choirs. Like all of these choristers, like you know, sitting in a in a cathedral, and they're all just like completely, you know, just you know, just so annoyed by your very existence. They're like shrieking and singing in this in this particular way, but um, like that is obviously those boss fights. You know, the music just goes to that that place, but. But so much of the rest of the game is just, it's just wind. You know, you're just exploring this place and there's very little music like telling you how to feel. And it just leaves you to your own thoughts. And, and also I found it so meditative. Um, you know, I, you get out of Firelink Shrine and then you're just, it's just birds and, and, and wind. And it's just kind of you and the environment and, and it's 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 a real a real place of freedom in a in a video game landscape that's like constantly like giving you orders and, and Dark Souls doesn't give you orders it doesn't tell you where to go it lets you find your own way um, and so I uh, I hope to give my own children you know an experience of life that's a little bit more like Dark Souls um, where they can run into the, like, they can start the game, get past the t- tutorial, and then you run into the graveyard and get their asses kicked by skeletons for, like, eight hours and then rage quit the game forever. Or they can, like, kind of make their way up the hill and and actually start to make a bit of progress. Um, but I'm, I give them, like, you know, some room to make their own choices and even... Like my kids will make a lot of choices that take them into the graveyard where they get their asses kicked and I'll be there to kind of, you know, sort of help them kind of get back on their feet. Um, but, but that's like, that's like a really good life when you can make those decisions for yourself and you don't have somebody like, you know, with their hand on the back of your neck, like pushing you up the hill, you know, towards undead Berg um, and telling you exactly where to go. Um, or giving you a little mini map with a compass heading and a quest marker, like, you know, being all bossy and you know, telling you that you have to go to this blinking question mark or this like neon yellow question mark. So, yeah, so I realized I, I got a very long winded tear there, but um, yeah, like it's just, it's just another thing I love about Dark Souls. No, you're, 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 you're making absolute sense though, because um, it's, it, it's it's very risky um, to let anybody out of the world and to to release control over them and um, just like within Dark Souls to 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 go you know take those first steps to go into the graveyard or into um, uh, Nulando or to go up the steps wherever you go like it's it's very risky and there's a lot of there's a lot of risk and there's a lot of punishment to that but at the same time once you accomplish it and you accomplish it on your own it's incredibly rewarding. Um, having talked to quite a few people about Dark Souls, that's regardless of whether people are into lore or mechanics or PvP or you know the the artistry around the bosses or, or what have you, it always comes back down to a sense of reward with in, from engaging with the game in their own way. And when you talk about freedom with a game, I, I can't think of a lot of games that allow you to engage with it and on multiple different layers or all of those or some of those or what have you. And then come across and then come out of that with a sense of just, you know, satisfaction 
no matter what you put into the game, you can get something out of it. And that, in a lot of ways, I, I don't have children myself, but in a lot of ways, I can imagine that would be very similar. If, you have dogs, though, don't you? I do. Yeah, I have two basset hounds that are miserable. But <laughs> yeah, so I'm just going to go ahead and, and correct you. <laughs> okay, so same thing. Basset hounds and children are, are pretty much like, the same. they both shit all over the place, and uh, <laughs> but you're, you're yeah with the dogs, it's yeah it's it's more difficult because you can't uh, you can't potty train a dog. Um, and your and your children have long, children. gorgeous ears too, right? I'm guessing. Just that's the yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I have I have a friend Nate who's like always had like you know, dogs, and and I he was always saying like, oh, you know, we're not ready to have kids yet. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like you, like you are like constantly um, coming home and you know cleaning up the books that have been like you know like torn apart, literally torn apart by wild dogs. Um, your your crazy wild uh, you know labs and <laughs> uh, but yeah like it's it's kind of a similar similar thing you love any anytime you love something that's like that much it's and it's unpredictable that you kind of put your heart on the line and so it's very it is very similar I would imagine to 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 kids but just more difficult a little bit more inscrutable I don't um, I, I don't want to let you go without talking about um some of the sequels to dark souls um whether it's the direct sequels in dark souls 2 or dark souls 3 or the spiritual successors like uh bloodborne um most of the most of the writing and the content that that you've made uh, and i hate using that word in that kind of way but most of the things that you put out there about these games has mostly been focused around dark souls 1 um yeah in a in a kind of a general way how have you approached those sequels, you know, spiritual or direct? And, and like, do you still think about those and those games in the same way that you think about dark souls one? Uh, I should say, I should say that I love all God's children just the same, but sure. it's not true. <laughs> but, I, but I don't care um, for Job, right. Is the, is the joke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I know like none of those games compare to dark souls for me. And um, they, they're enjoyable, um, to different degrees. Um, you know, I, I could stat rank, you know, all of the from software games, but I've, I've, yeah, I've really struggled with this, this question, um, because I just wonder if I'm having it. So as a, as a really huge music fan myself and like the whole first part of my career in journalism was spent working for a music magazine and, you know, writing about bands and, and reviewing albums and, you know, writing about music. And, and I always like one of my uh, pet peeves, which in Ireland they call pet hates. Um, I kind of like pet peeve cause it has that, you know, it has that, that alliteration, but um, one of my pet hates is, uh, is when people talk about liking the, like, like oh the like when they hear a a cover version of a song and they're like oh it's not as good as the original or it's or they hear you know a live version of a song and they're like oh it's not as good as the version on the, on the CD and it and it's it's just this um, like all they're saying is that like they had they fell in love with this one version of the song it was the first one they heard like that was their that was their first love. And so when they see the same song in like a different context or at a concert or covered by another artist, um, 
it doesn't match up to that like ideal of that like very first like experience they had with song and whatever version of the song they experience for the first time that's always the one it's like the gosling rule in writing fiction is that whichever like character you introduce the reader to first they kind of glom onto it and, and like want to follow it around like it's their mother and uh, so you have to be very intentional about kind of what character you show your reader first um, because they develop an emotional attachment like almost automatically and and so I always question like is is that the thing with Dark Souls like it was just that even though I played Demon Souls before but like Dark Souls was the one I like fell in love with like in the kind of Dark Souls series um and like, am I just being that annoying guy who's like comparing every other Dark Souls experience to that game and then saying that it doesn't measure up because it's different from that one game, which seems like an arbitrary kind of judgment to make because those other games should be just taken on their own merits. Um, but but maybe I am. Like maybe, maybe it's just like I had this really, really intense love affair with this one game and this one world and every single other game has this kind of uncanny valley sort of inspires this, um, that sort of uncanny valley revulsion because it looks so much and feels so much like the, the first dark souls, but it's different, but it's just different enough that it kind of inspires this disgust. Of, um, and, and I had, like I played, uh, I definitely preferred dark souls three to dark souls two. But even Dark Souls 2, I played it, you know, I played it through twice. Um, played it through once on console and then once on PC because I bought the DLC in a Steam sale. And, or did I buy this? No, I didn't, I didn't buy it in a Steam sale. I just, I just bought it kind of full price or whatever. But, so I had to like replay the game kind of from the start again to be able to access the DLC on the, on the PC version. Um, and I, like, I had a, pretty okay time you know sort of going through it again and um that was like damning with faint praise in like such a hardcore way <laughs> i had a pretty okay time people developed the game are like they're like shoving like committing harry carry like sort of you know as i as i use the word it's pretty okay um we have failed and you know um but yeah the third one was absolutely gorgeous like i loved the world there were so many like beautiful I love that crazy tree, like real deviant kind of like sex tree. Um, he's like sitting there like plopping down his like legs kind of fanned out and this kind of like some weird like tree sap venom pouring out of its vulva. I don't know. It's like so fucked up. Um, but like that's what I love about Dark Souls is it just has this incredibly subversive um, kind of design so ethos where uh, like you can like I think you know Miyazaki talked about how he had this sort of fetish with uh, motherly figures and like the ridiculously the you know sort of amazing chest ahead you know so you, know, you have this you know Gwen's daughter with it, it, just this absurdly voluptuous kind of chest and and Miyazaki admitted that that was kind of like part of this fantasy of like a grown man like you know nursing at the at the breast of some giant mother just 
but like allowing his id, you know, to be translated into the game in such a, a vulnerable way. And uh, he's not designing everything in the games. You know, I think that's actually one, I don't know how much that's been talked about, but I think there is a cult of Miyazaki. Um, and I think there's sort of this idea that, and like I will, because I was raised in religion, I, I think I, I tend to use religion as my analogy for almost everything, but um, I think people do have this kind of religious deference to Miyazaki as like the creator of this game. And, and so they want to think of Dark Souls as this Bible that was like divinely written by Miyazaki and that he designed everything in the game, designed the layout of every area that, that he was, that the whole game was divinely kind of breathed by this one human being, which absolutely is not the case. Like there were whole, aspects of the game that were outsourced, you know, to vendors and like from software didn't like in-house, they didn't even design every monster in the game. They didn't just like, I mean, they probably did the, the wealth of the level design. Um, but it's just like the Bible. It's just a, a bunch of different authors and, you know, some of the you know books fit together, but it's not perfectly cohesive. There are kind of contradictions and, and sometimes you like go down you know, into this dungeon and you walk out and then you're at a lava castle and, you know, there's these kind of odd transitions and stuff, but that's just because it's a game that's made by, you know, dozens or, you know, hundreds of, of people. And, and, uh, and so I, I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just really interesting how like we want to believe that it was all kind of Miyazaki's brainchild um, and, and for me, that doesn't detract from the game at all. I mean, it, it does sort of channel his vision, but I love that it has like all of these other people and they're weird. Like it gave them this safe place to explore all these really weird fucked up parts of their own psyche. And I love that about creativity. And I, I was, I was just going back and like reading an old, because I'm writing this memoir now about about my fundamentalist childhood and had a very had a very strained you know, relationship with my mother who was you know, very controlling um, you know, very much wanted me to grow up to be like you know a Christian missionary and and all of our family updates you know to friends and would always you know say that. I was on track to becoming a, a music minister, like, all, you know, all of these things, like she was sort of projecting these desires onto me for what she wanted for my life. Um, so I love, I love that about art, that it provides this, this kind of safe place to like express things that are like really like things you would never talk about in polite company or things you would never admit. And, and so I, I stumbled, like, as I was writing this book, I stumbled on this old uh, short story that I wrote in like just after college, I think I was applying for a, thinking maybe I'd, I'd go into like a creative writing, sort of do a master in fine arts or something like that. Uh, and so I wrote this admission, kind of admission application short story. And in the, like in the story, and even though the protagonist, and I haven't written much fiction, uh, I think this is probably the only sort of short story of this length I'd ever written. Um, but the protagonist says these, these like really searing things about her mother. And in the story, uh, her mother is like dying of cancer and the, and the, 
And the narrator basically says that she's okay with that. And she doesn't feel any sadness over her mother, you know, dying. And it's like this really kind of searing thing that like feels like the worst thing you could ever possibly say um, that you, you're not grieving the loss of this parent. And, and so when I looked back on that, like having processed you know, this really conflicted relationship with my, my own mom, I, I was just like, wow, like, I, I didn't feel like when I was writing that story, I felt like oh, I'm just writing fiction. And, um, but I was expressing some like really deep wound and like kind of pain over my own um, relationship with my own mother and, and kind of my resentment towards her. And it was like all kind of pouring out through this kind of safe, like fictional kind of space. And, and so I, even I realized this is like, completely too much like sort of personal biographical information. Um, but I, I see in dark souls like a, the same kind of thing where it's just a, you know, to use Michael Thompson's kind of condescending sort of idea. It's like, it's just a world about zombies and like killing zombies. And, and you can, you can view it in that really condescending way, or you can, view all the weirdness of its design as just a bunch of human beings who get to tap into their own creative subconscious and pull out really weird things and just put them in this video game without judging them, without thinking, oh, this is too weird or this is kind of like kinky or odd or, and, and they just put it out there. And I, and I just, love that so, so much. And they don't second guess it and create something that's safe and predictable. And I, ah, I just, I can't get enough of it. There's so many games that where every single aspect of the design just seems like it was run through like a meat grinder of focus tests. And it just comes out the other end. So generic and predictable and and Dark Souls just like lets the subconscious absolutely run wild. Um, yeah, I mean, there's just a million things. Like if we like recorded a 10 hour podcast, I would I would just keep <laughs> the more I thought about the game, I would just keep thinking about new things that I loved about it. And like that's why, like you know, we just I just kind of had ended the book at sort of an arbitrary place where it's like, okay, well that's probably enough about dark souls and just, you know, called it a book. Um, but like I could, I could just spend, you know, I could, I could write another book about dark souls tomorrow, but it would be about the first game. And like, I couldn't write <laughs> like you just don't, you're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to write two completely separate books about the exact same video game. Um, Look, if we can have 10 Assassin's Creed games, we can have You Died Volume 2. I think that's allowed. <laughs> yeah, You Died. Yeah, you could do the whole the whole kind of action movie thing. You Died, you died. Again. again. Exactly. <laughs> you Died the second time. As um as somebody that's uh invested so much of their of their life and so much of their work into this series, are you following along with what from software is doing nowadays? Like, are you, are you actively waiting kind of like the rest of the souls community is for them to announce, 
you know, Dark Souls 4, Bloodborne 2, Armored Core, you know, Nighttime Fever, or whatever that name is going to be. Or <laughs> Armored Nighttime Fever, that is the most Japanese. <laughs> I don't think it sounds mildly racist. You, like, <laughs> oh, no, say, I'm sorry. Say, I did, definitely didn't mean to. It sounds that Japanese. Um, actually, it's probably a real name of a real game. You should probably Google that. Um, I I will play whatever from software releases, um, like in anywhere kind of remotely close to the, the Souls genre. Um, but I really, I, re- I really want to play Bloodborne. I really want to play another game in the Bloodborne universe. Like that is my, like after Dark Souls, Bloodborne is my, my second favorite uh, Souls game. Even I, I even like it more than Demon Souls, which I know is heretical and, and you will get no, like there will be no end to the hate mail you receive for like having a guest on who, who denigrates the sacred, you know, demon souls in such a way. Jason, Jason, do not worry about this is the Bloodborne Love Fest podcast. Like, okay. <laughs> this so is, glad. yeah, I'm don't so worry glad. about that at all. It's again, I'm very, I'm very, I'm, I've been very lucky in that all of my fans just love the souls games and don't seem to hate any of the guests. So I've been, been, I've been very lucky and everybody loves bloodborne except for the bad people. So that we don't talk about them. Yeah. 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 Those, those people just, we'll just hang them up on a, on a, on a crucifix and, and just sort of shamble down the road, you know, past them, like, you know, dragging porch pitchforks along the ground. Um, but yeah, I, I really want to play another bloodborne, uh, like if I was to completely like fall down another hole like I did with Dark Souls, I I could probably do it with Bloodborne. I've I've played it through two or three times, and uh, that world is incredible. Um, I don't think I I don't think I have a book in me um, about Bloodborne specifically. I feel like I've written my Souls book, um, but my dream is to one day. Um, put out a hardcover edition of of You Died. That was like one of my that was one of my few regrets with the the publishing of the book uh, because like for the Souls community where there's such like a prized like the, there's such a reverence for the game that you just want a physical object that reflects like the some shred of the majesty of of the game and that experience. And, and even though I, I love the book and I'm so proud of it, I, f- I feel like not having a, a gorgeous, almost like leather bound, you know, letter pressed hardcover edition of, of the book just feels like a little bit of a, yeah, a little, almost slightly irreverent. Um, so that's, my perfectionistic tendencies, my OCD kind of rages a little bit um, at the fact that there's no hardcover edition of the book. Um, but, you know, who knows? Maybe somewhere down the road, like, we can correct that and and do a really nice... On the 10th anniversary, we can do some 10th anniversary edition and, who knows, do, like, a, a limited run of, like, a hardcover edition of the book. Um, and then I could just buy five of them just because I love, <laughs> I love, I love books and I love like, you know, really nice hardcovers, but, but yeah, so that's, that's one sort of speaking of like open questions that need to be resolved. Hopefully one day there'll be a hardcover copy of you died. 
it's just like the way that I have three copies of You Died because it's like the only physical print book that my name has been printed in. So I have to have as many copies as I can just. Can I ask you? I mean, I, I know we're, I haven't, I don't have a clock in front of me. I, we're probably running long um, uh, because I ramble like a son of a gun. But um, like, can I ask, can I flip the tables? Because like I'm used to doing the interviewing. And, mm-hmm. um, and I, I, I hope it's not like odd just because as the writer of the book, um, but like, what was, what was that experience like for you kind of having your, your thoughts about the game? Like, cause I, I mean, I wrote that, that chapter, like featuring your, your thoughts about PVP and invasion and all that stuff. Like, did you feel like, um, like I reflected your feelings in a, in a way that that felt like really accurate or, or what was it like kind of, seeing yourself as a character in a book. It was, um, it was distinctly odd um, because I've, I'd never really been interviewed for anything like that before. Um, I had been on an, a few podcasts, uh, which was, is a totally different experience than being actually interviewed. Um, like when I started talking about dark souls in a public environment, it was on bonfire side chat with Gary invited me to be on that show. And it was just a casual conversation like you and I have been having for the last hour or so. Um, yeah. Whereas you were asking me very specific questions and um, I was having to think about my answers in in a way that um, I I wouldn't have normally done. And then later, and it was um, a little while later, and I think that if I remember right, that chapter was one of the excerpts that you guys released uh, before the book was um, officially available. So it was online. Yeah, that actually went, that was, uh, that was published on IGN. Yeah. That was, that was really weird. The largest audience of any of those um, chapter excerpts that we published elsewhere. That was super strange. Uh, seeing my name on IGN, by the way, that was not <laughs> something that I had ever expected. Um, and then it was it was it was very very odd reading back through it because it was one of those things of, um, and I'm sure that people who anybody that's been interviewed goes through this process where you you read something that you know you said and you're like, well, that's not. Oh, that's. I mean, like maybe I could have said it better or I could have said it differently or maybe I actually meant this or, or that. But um, it was at, at the end of it when I when I finished the chapter um, and there was some like very like hearing yourself or see, like if you've ever heard yourself on, a, on an audio recording or seen yourself on video and kind of been embarrassed about it. Like it was one of those feelings. Yeah, that's why I probably won't be able to listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Um, exactly, exactly the same thing where you're, you're reading your name in print and you're, I I was, I was like, wow, that's ah," like, I was just a little like, um, not embarrassed because it wasn't that strong, but, um, just, just awkward about it. And then, uh, it's been interesting over the last couple of years because people pick up that book and because of this podcast and because of, um, my association with like Gary and being on Bonifar side chat and, uh, and Mm -hmm. Cole, of course, um, and also doing like other podcasts and things like that. Like I get people message me on Twitter and like, Oh, I just got to your chapter on, on you died and I just picked up you died and it was great. And it was so funny or was this or that or the other. And it was just one of those things of like, you just have to accept that even though you feel like it might be a little weird and you probably would have gone back and changed it. Um, I, it, it it's still good the way that it is. And I look at that the same way that I do <clears throat> all of my old podcasts. Like if you listen to episode three of this, um, it probably sounds very different than what it does today because hmm. I didn't quite have the knowledge that I did. And like the very first YouTube video that I uploaded for Dark Souls PVP was garbage. Like it was made in Windows Movie Maker. <laughs> like it's horrible. 
<laughs> but at the same time, like there's there's an honesty to that. But you did it for love, you know. Yeah, exactly. And that's and that's the thing is it's it's you did it at the time and that's what you meant at the time. Um so it was it was it was an odd experience, Jason, to be honest with you. Like it's and that's the word that I keep going back to, and it's like it was yeah. very humbling at the time. Uh, I remember very distinctly getting added on Twitter when you reached out and uh, Gary was like, Oh, you should talk to Jeremy about that, about PVP stuff. And I was like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll do whatever. And then like talking to you. And then several months later, all of a sudden I was on IGN and I was like, what the hell? What is going on? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. You're so like your contributions, like that interview, like, I mean, and this is not like I'm, I'm going on Jeremy's podcast. So I need to like, blow like a ton of smoke up his ass but no no please like, do really, that's, that's one of my favorite things to smoke up my ass so please <laughs> yeah it does i think that it's supposed to be like like sort of flooding somebody with compliments but it, it really just sounds like some kind of torture procedure where you like sort of tie them down and like bring out the smoke, smoke machine <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't know but um yeah, or no, yeah, maybe this is the phrase blowing smoke, or like I thought maybe it's blowing sunshine, or I don't know. But blowing anyway, like, fun, I remember yeah. like transcribing the interview and then going back and thinking about you know what I wanted, like how the interview content sort of fit into what I was writing and sort of doing that the puzzle of putting together a piece, you know, with quotations. And, and I remember just thinking, like, I just want to put all of this in the, in the chapter, like every single bit of it. I, and I think I was like going through and like highlighting sort of sections that I wanted to put in. And I was like, Oh no, I definitely like that quote. Or I like, that's man. He just really nailed that. Or um, like, Oh, that's really funny. Or that's really insightful. And, and I think I went through and I had basically just kind of highlighted the entire interview. <laughs> like, all right, I really didn't help myself at all. Like, um, so it was just like really dense with like interesting kind of observations about the game. And, and so that it was, that is still my favorite chapter in the book. And I think in large part because of, just because of your interview and, and how you took something that was so alien to my experience with dark souls, because I never, I never engaged in any serious way with the PVP aspect of the game. I was just really deathly afraid of it and, and, and just, it, it felt too subversive. Um, and I think that was still emerging from my fundamentalist kind of like upbringing still, even then, I mean, we're only talking about a, a very short number of years ago, but I, like when I was playing through dark souls, I, I was a boy scout. Like I never invaded. I, like I had to play by the rules, you know, because that's how I was raised and, and so I, it was really fascinating to talk to you because I, I felt like somebody who had been raised, like had been a Mormon missionary and like, you know, it was just this almost like the Book of Mormon, you know, style kind of caricature of of the the religious zealot and the kind of starched white shirt. And and I still had a little bit of that sensibility about me. And, and I, I felt like talking to you was like talking to somebody who who had seen some things and who had like you know, run away from home and, and joined a biker gang and like taken a bunch of drugs and just had all these experiences <laughs> that were like so alien to my own experience. But I was like so wrapped and fascinated um, by all of this life experience that you'd had that I hadn't allowed myself because it just felt too 
subversive and like going into somebody's world and, and kind of killing them. It just, yeah, it just felt so wrong. And, and, and you just had this amazing way of like stripping all the kind of moral, like hand wringing out of it and just talking about the pure play and experimentation. And it just made the, and then I realized when we did that interview that I had for some almost like arbitrary seeming reason, like I had just walled off this entire section of the experience of dark souls um, because I was uncomfortable with it and I had missed out on so much of the game. And so by talking to you, I was, it's almost like I was just, this door was swinging open and I was, like seeing this game I loved that I felt like I had rinsed out and like experienced all of it and then realized, Oh, actually, no, I, I just had put up this you know, border and, and kind of there's this whole other world. And, and now this person is kind of coaxing me into it and, and showing me around. And I, I love that feeling of like, because you, when you've experienced the game so many, you've gone through it so many times and you, you're you're finding a few little bits and pieces that are new, but so much of it is familiar after you know several journeys through the game. Uh, but when we had that conversation, I felt, I mean, even though it was it was not like a geographical location that you were introducing me to, it was just an experience and a and kind of a dynamic and a you know a code and and of behavior and all of these different things, but it felt like one of the first times like where this game that I loved so much and I thought I had like sucked every bit of juice out of it that I didn't realize that there was this whole area, like this pocket of juice that like by, by talking to PPP, I wasn't expecting to just open up something so unexpected. And so, yes, yeah, so I, I think maybe that's why I like that chapter so much. Um, it's just because I had such a, really like witty like insightful kind of tour guide sort of showing me all of this this stuff that was so new and fresh and um so yeah thank you thank you so much for that well to to turn this around on you and um i'm planning on doing a pretty lengthy preamble to this one since this is kind of a special episode for me you know episode 100 is a a nice round number to be able to talk about Mm -hmm. yourself a little bit um uh, there's several people in this community that are directly responsible for me starting this show and for doing this thing that I love, which is very specifically podcasting, which um, you may or may not know this, but like I have four podcasts now, like it's ridiculous. (laughs) Like I'm wow, dude, congratulations. (laughs) It's, I mean, and it's like, you know, one's on Patreon, one is on duck feed. Like this thing is, is, is my own thing. And then I have another thing. Like it's, it's something that has become like something that I love to do. And I, would not have had the courage to do that if it wasn't originally for Gary and Cole to invite me to their show and then for Gary mm-hmm. to introduce me to you and to to have the experience of that interview and to to think to myself and to like oh wow people actually care like people are out there like that think that these experiences are worthwhile it's not me just you know doing dumb stuff in a video game and then uploading it to YouTube for laughs like this could be an actual thing that people are interested in and it was around that time that i originally had the idea for this podcast it wasn't for at least a year later maybe a year and a half later that i finally got the courage up and was like okay i'm actually going to do the thing i'm I'm tired of talking about it i'm tired of thinking about it yeah yeah so it's it's you know gary butterfield cole ross jason killingsworth um 
CJ and Patty over Twin Humanities uh, were yeah. Like, oh God, yeah, those guys. Are great. The 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 five of you are directly responsible for me starting this and for me getting as much pleasure as I've had from the Dark Souls community, and it's been insane. Uh, I, I like to joke about this, but like I really did think that this podcast had maybe fifty episodes before it was literally just going to be the same story over and over again. Like, uh, yeah, I, kinda, I think I probably would have assumed the same thing. Yeah, and it's it, it's it's it surprised me that it hasn't been. And you know, the last hundred episodes have introduced me into lore people, into um, just the this the most off the wall crazy people, like people that don't care about any of the story whatsoever, that are just there for the mechanics. PvP people who you know have devoted thousands of hours of their lives just for PvP, and you know just and also made friends over the internet of just this this huge community of people that love to play the games. And this even what what fascinates me even more is it's a small pocket. Like I'm I'm not the the Vadi Vidias or the P Peversons or even the Bonfire Side Chats of the world. Like I'm just my own little corner over here and there's still so much left to go. So um so for you to say thank you to me is 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 kind of crazy. So like thank you cuz again you're you're one of those people that inspired me to do this. So thank you very much for being like our our, our number 100. Like this this has been great. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and guesting. Oh man, it's it's really fun. Um, and I'm, I actually, not to like sort of spin it around and, and kind of like use it as like to talk about my, myself, but like you've actually given, like even just hearing you say that it, like I'm working on some kind of personal creative like stuff on the side that like, I'm not ready to sort of unveil just yet. But uh, like one thing that I can like sort of tease here is that I'm working on a pod. I'm sort of scheming like sort of a podcast of my own um, related to my book, like the the new book that I'm writing, which is called Perfect. Um, so you, like you change one letter in perfect and in the word perfect, and and all of a sudden you just kind of see what perfectionism. You kind of get a hint of what perfectionism does to a person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and my idea for the podcast is to interview game designers and musicians and filmmakers and creative people and, and other writers and explore the, the imperfections like in their own like creative work and in their own life experience that, that kind of feeds into their creative process and, and makes their work really special and memorable. And, uh, I'm really nervous about it, to be honest, um, because like as anybody who's listened to this podcast has like realized, I like I just start rambling and like I'm not a really concise speaker. I I sort of I just like to like a kid in the outfield like playing baseball who's like supposed to be steely eyed and like watching for the kind of watching for the fly ball and like but like I'm just kind of running around in circles, like swatting at butterflies and like just kind of chasing things, chasing ideas kind of around. And so my head's like just kind of swiveling around and not kind of lose, lose my focus. Um, but yeah, so I've been kind of nervous about being a, like a podcaster or like, you know, just being afraid that I would just sound too insane or something. And, um, so yeah, just the fact that you kind of dove into that space um, after like going finding your own voice and, and going through that whole process 
just kind of gives me a little bit more hope that like I haven't even you know, recorded the pilot yet, but I think when I actually do like, get into that process, I'm going to think about your first, uh, you know, the first YouTube video you made about PVP and just think about the fact that you're on uh, episode 100 of this podcast. And, and that's going to be my kind of fuel. Like if, if Jeremy can get to episode 100, then I can at least finish this fucking pilot. <laughs> that should be, that should be uh, everybody's that's, thing. That's like, the exact <laughs> thing I'm going to write on a, a little post-it note and stick it up <laughs> on my computer. If, if I can do this, literally anybody can do it. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is like you're really smart and, uh, and articulate. So it, it actually doesn't help you know, that much because I, but, um, but yeah, so anyway, keep it up and like, if you want me to to come back in with you know a few other folks on episode two hundred, um, it's an open open invitation, uh, or it wouldn't be an invitation because I'm. <laughs> we'll make no no that's oh. I, I like this idea. <laughs> Let's do a whole group episode on episode two hundred, and we'll get more people involved. I'm, I'm into this. Yeah, what I was going to say, it's an open <laughs> invitation. I'm inviting you to invite me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Before before we sign off, uh, where where else can you be found on the internet? Like, do you do you want to plug anything else or anywhere sure. else? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I I tweet occasionally at Killings Words, uh, K I L L I N G S W O R D S, uh, and then I have a website Jason Killingsworth dot com, and and then um, yeah, and then maybe I'll I'll send you send you a link to that that blog uh, that blog post I mentioned earlier about the kind of chasing the mystery of dark souls and kind of connecting it to religion um, I maybe you can post a link to that somewhere like in the description text or something like that but uh, yeah that's, that's kind of that's sort of where I hang out and then like if and you follow me in any of those places then when my next uh next book kind of comes around then then people can get hear about that but in the new book i write about uh, a lot of a lot of stuff related to games like there's like two i wasn't planning this but there like are two four thousand word chapters about bioshock <laughs> <laughs> and uh and there's going to be a, i have a feeling i'm going to end up writing a ton about um binding of isaac and oh man that we could go, so, we could literally go yeah, from the 10 so hours on, of, on Binding of Isaac. So, <laughs> are you a fan? Oh, I'm a huge fan. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, God, it's so genius. I yeah, um, it kind of overlaps. Like you know, I'm talking some about my uh, my mommy issues, um, which I haven't really talked about before. And we'll probably the second we hang up the Skype call, I'll be like, oh shit! Like I just like had a I just divulge way too much about myself. But um, but yeah, like. Edmund McMillan, like the game Binding of Isaac, like is digging into like a very eerily similar space about obviously he he puts this kind of cartoonish sort of horror veneer on top of it with this mother who's like gets a word from the Lord to like lock her son in the basement and like prepare to sacrifice him. Um, but yeah, so I think I haven't written that section of the book yet, but I don't know. I feel like like he was kind of exploring some similar sort of emotional terrain to to what I'm exploring in my book. Uh, so who knows? Like we'll 
I haven't finished it yet. I'm, I've written about 160,000 words, which is way too many words, but um, I'm a, a wordy son of a bitch, uh, and that's maybe that's why my Twitter handle is Killings Words. Just uh, too many words, but um, yeah, it's all fun. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you again for guesting, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man, I, I had a great time, and hopefully there's there's some stuff in here uh, that you can use. Oh, this is this is this will go out raw and un- almost entirely unedited. So don't don't good, worry about yeah that yeah <laughs> keep that section of me like trying to like refund <laughs> recreate my train of thoughts. Uh, but after I got completely derailed and then found myself like standing in the middle of the wilderness, like looking around like for the the bus that was supposed to come pick me up and and like just having no idea how I was going to get back to civilization because I was so I'd lost the train of thought so hard (laughs) that happens all the time so do not feel bad about that um oh good good anyway it it was a blast and yeah and thank you so much for having me on and congrats on number 100 and as always i've been your host jeremy greer uh you can find me on twitter at jg greer you can find the podcast at don't give up skeleton thank you so so much for listening through all 100 episodes this is a, a huge thing and it's it means a whole lot to me that you that all of you have stuck along with me Um, I'm not going to go through the normal BS. Uh, Thank you again to Jason for guesting. We'll be back next week with another episode and probably another hundred episodes. Who knows? But no matter what, remember, don't give up, Skeleton. (laughs) Don't give up. (laughs) Ever. Thank you, man. This this was just awesome. This was so great. Like, this was amazing. I'm I'm not going to lie to you. I have been intimidated to ask you to be on this podcast for a while. (laughs) So... Oh I, man, I can't believe that. But absolutely, uh, man, I got—I hold you in such a high esteem. Like I, I, I love your work so much that it was always like.